Everyone has something in their life that can be a stressor. But some people deal with their situations in more positive ways in order to take control. It's not difficult. You can do this too. Welcome to Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully with your host, Rusty Williams. In this program, you'll learn how using hypnosis and mindfulness can lessen the stress and strengthen your life. Now, here is Rusty Williams. Well, good morning, and yes, welcome to this first episode of Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully. And as you heard, I'm Rusty Williams. I'm going to be your host. And I guess you could figure out, as the name implies, this is going to be about all things mindfully related and hypnotically related. And that's more the generic term, I guess. The goal for this, at least for me, is to make this your show, to make this something that you want. So this is going to be driven by you. Um, I'm going to be asking for your suggestions on what topics you want discussed, um, any questions you might have about hypnosis or mindfulness. Um, Because we want to learn how to live more mindfully, live in the present. There's so much research, so much, all the studies show that it, it just is so so beneficial to us. And it's also about living with a hypnotic mind. And we'll talk about that as, as this show goes on and, and other episodes go on, but learning how to, to live with that hypnotic mindset. And so by doing that, giving you skills, offering you some tips, some suggestions on how you might do that, hopefully your life, not just hopefully, I'm confident your life will be better. And I guess maybe there's a caveat, there's a a disclaimer that we need to start right off the bat here. Um, If you're driving, if you're operating some machinery, if there's something that you're doing that requires your undivided attention, please put any of this off until you have an opportunity to devote everything to some of the techniques, some of the suggestions, some of the trainings that we're going to be talking about. So there's my caveat that should make all the lawyers happy. There. Now, In order for you to understand a little bit about hypnosis and mindfulness from my perspective, I think it's only fair that I tell you a little bit about me. And in the, I guess with full disclosure here, let me put two things out here for you right away. First of all, I'm a hypnotist. I teach mindfulness. I'm a hypnosis instructor. I can't meditate. I've tried. And when I say I can't meditate, let, let, me, let me clear this up a little bit. I can't meditate in the way that I see other people's meditate, other people meditating. I can't get that, I don't know if it's, it's the Buddhists that would call it the empty mind. And I've tried. When I was in seminary, we had a block of instruction on contemplative prayer. And the goal, one of the goals of, of one of, the, one of the, the blocks of instruction was to create this empty mind. And I have to tell you, oh, I tried. Oh, did I try? If I took a pen and jabbed it in my eye a dozen times, it would be less painful than trying to create that empty mindset. There was just thoughts running through my mind, running through my mind, and I couldn't get rid of these thoughts. My my mind was always thinking. And so I thought I failed. And from that moment until I really learned what mindfulness was, because I thought, That's what mindfulness was, of of creating this empty mindset where you're not thinking about anything. And it wasn't until recently when I learned really what mindfulness was that I learned it's not about creating an empty mind. It's not about getting lost 
and not experiencing anything around you. So that's full disclosure, number one. If, if, by the way, if you know how to meditate, if you know, if you have some suggestions that would help me create that empty mind, I would love to hear from you. So that's, that's disclosure number one. Full disclosure number two. If somebody told me 10 years ago that I would be here right now talking about mindfulness and hypnosis, I would have told them they were crazy. I'm going to talk a little bit about me and how I got to this point, but I'll I'll jump forward real quick. I was a cop for 25 years. I retired as a detective. I won evidence. And for so long, I thought this mindfulness and hypnosis and meditation, it was that stuff where you sit with your legs crossed and you put your palms up in the air. And I thought it was that frou-frou. Well, there was another word that began with F. I thought it was frou-frou stuff. and, And I thought there's no way I'm ever going to be involved in that. And then... Life happened. And that's what I want to talk about, at least with this episode, is share with you how I got to where I am today. And maybe in sharing my story, maybe you can nod your head or or think of if it didn't happen to you, if you didn't experience this, maybe there's someone in your life who did. Maybe there's someone in your life who you can identify with who experienced something similar. And maybe that can help you get to a place of thinking, yeah, maybe this, if, if he can do it, if this guy Rusty Williams can do it, then I can certainly do it. So whenever I give a talk, and I've been blessed with the ability to travel around the country and, and give talks in various careers that I've had, uh, presentations, workshops, trainings, um, I've had international audiences. And whenever I start a talk, I always tell people that they have a right to know who's standing up there talking to them. They have a right to know a little bit about that person. And so as I stand here today, I believe that you have that right to know a little bit about me. And if you have that right, then I have an obligation to share a little bit about me so you know who it is that's that's on the other end of whatever you're listening to, whether it's earphones, headphones, whatever it is, so that you know a little bit about that person. And That'll help you come to a place of understanding of either accepting everything I say, some of the things I say, or maybe discounting them. And that's totally up to you. I certainly hope that you accept them because there's no reason to try to pull anything over your eyes. Um, I live uh, my life. Um, I have a Facebook page with a, a following of a couple thousand people. And I, I put everything out there. I open myself up to the world and it's helped me heal with a lot of things that I've experienced in life. So with all that being said, here it goes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work backwards from today, go backwards a little bit, and then I'll come forward from my past with a little more detail, a little more content. So here I am, the host of Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully. I'm a hypnotist. I am a certified medical hypnotist. I teach mindfulness. I'm a hypnosis instructor. I train other people to become hypnotists. I speak, like I said, at different conferences, conventions, trainings. Um, Before I was a hypnotist, I'm also an ordained minister. I was ordained in 2008 and um, worked in a local church here. I was the youth minister. I served our church here until some things in life, and we'll talk about that as we go forward. There's a little teaser, um, got in the way. And before that, I was a cop. I retired as a uh, detective. I was a police officer for 25 years in a small community here in South Jersey. Before I was a police officer, I was a paramedic for five years. 
um, in what at that time was the both the poorest and the most violent city in America in the early 1980s. And before that, I was in high school, and then we can go all the way back, but there's no reason to except for this. So now I'm going to go forward. We grew up in this wonderful small community in the, on the edge of the uh, Pineland National Reserve in southern New Jersey. Um, wonderful place to, to grow up, one square mile, dozens of lakes, and we grew up having a blast. We thought this is what life is supposed to be all about. My brother and I, I have a, I have a brother who's a year younger than me. But we were one of those families that we didn't have both parents at home because my mom had to work. We grew up with not a lot of money. Um, in fact, the home that, that my wife and I are in now, by the way, I'm living back in this small community called Medford Lakes in, in southern New Jersey. The family room and living room of our house that we're in now would house the entire house that my brother and I grew up in. Uh, my dad worked two jobs and my mom had to go to work. In third grade, my brother was in second grade, we would come home and um, my mom was at work. And so we had a lot of free time on our hands and we got into a lot of trouble. Um, and when I say trouble, sometimes uh, we learn from our mistakes. Um, stole our first beer out of our refrigerators and went into the woods and started drinking in the summer between fifth and sixth grade. Um, in the summer between eighth and ninth grade, we stole, okay, stealing is probably a bad word. We borrowed our neighbor's cars. We learned that if we offered to pet sit when people went away for their vacation in the summer and they left keys, we could take their cars around and we learned how to drive cars between eighth and ninth grade. Things got worse in high school. I was actually suspended my second day of school as I began my career at my, my high school, my freshman year, when a friend dared me to stick a paperclip into an electrical outlet. Um, maybe it was a double dog dare. I don't know. But all I remember, it was one of those big paperclips, by the way. It was um, not those small little ones. This was one of those industrial-sized paperclips. And I remember folding it and, and shaping it into a big U. And the only thing I remember is a big blue flash and some smoke. And the fire alarm went off. All the lights went out. It shut down all the electric in not just that classroom, in the entire wing of the school. And the school was evacuated. Fire trucks show up. We all get told that we can go back into class. And when I walked back into class, there sitting next to my seat, standing next to my seat, was the principal, the fire chief, and a police officer. And that is how I was welcomed into my career, my high school career. And if not for a couple teachers that didn't give up on me and wouldn't let me give up on myself, I don't know where I'd be right now. Things got worse um, before they got better. My sophomore year, my parents actually gave me a choice. The choice was this. I could go to reform school. I don't even know if they have reform school anymore. I could go to reform school or I could go to a weekend youth retreat that was offered by the local Catholic church, one with the local diocese at the Jersey Shore. Reform school, one hand, retreat at a house on the Jersey Shore tough decision. What made it easy was some of my friends who had gone to this retreat, by the way, the reason my parents offered me that is because some of the people in our community had sent their children there, their children went and there was dramatic changes in their lives. So my parents, that, that was their, 
the reason for, for giving me that option. And in talking to some of my friends who went, I learned that there was twice as many girls as guys who went on these retreats. Well, when you're 16 years old, that's an easy decision for a guy. So I chose the Jersey Shore going to hopefully meet girls. And something different happened. I went to meet girls and I found God. And by the way, this show is not about God and and my faith and my religion. We can talk about that later down the road whenever you can email me. Uh, But that's not what this show is about. And in doing so, things started changing for me. Things started changing for me in a way that while I was able to graduate high school, um, by the way, I didn't graduate in the top 50% of my class. I graduated in that half, which made the top 50% possible. More specific, I am proud to say I graduated in the top seven-eighths of my graduating class in high school. But my guidance counselor worked some magic, and with the SAT scores I had, I was one of those students where the teacher said, if you only applied yourself, I was one of those kids who just went to school to have fun. My guidance counselor got me accepted into Rutgers University somehow. My senior year in high school, I joined the local emergency squad. I was also active in this youth retreat weekend as a leader position, and I really thought I wanted to become an Episcopal priest. I thought, this is what I want. This is, this is the, the goal I want. And so I went to Rutgers um, to study social work, but I was also working on our local emergency squad as an EMT, as, as a volunteer. And I applied to become a paramedic. You know, first you have to become an EMT, then you become a paramedic. And a paramedic back in, in the uh, early 80s was the program, the paramedic program was something new to New Jersey. And I was a 19-year-old kid and they accepted me. I was the youngest person ever accepted into the paramedic program. And I broke my parents' heart by dropping out of Rutgers and going into this year and a half long program to become a paramedic. And that led me to working in what was the poorest and the most violent city in America at that time. Um, And then I became a police officer for 25 years, like I said. And it was during my last year as a cop that um, things started changing a little bit for me. Um, I was experiencing a lot of pain. I I was experiencing a lot of back pain. And I had had pinch sciatic nerves. I had had, um, you know, every cop has back pain, right? Every cop has a bad back. And I was experiencing this back pain. And I went to my family doctor and I was having other symptoms. I was actually incontinent a couple times. I was tripping and falling a lot. And I went to my doctor and I said, doc, can you write me a referral so I can go to a chiropractor, get this straightened out again? And he said, you know what, Rusty, I'll send you, I'll write you a referral. Just do me a favor. I don't like your symptoms. I'm going to send you for an MRI. Just go get an MRI, you know, appease me, humor me, go. And I'm like, doc, come on, just write me a referral, would you? I've, and I've known my, my family doctor. I'd known him for decades by this point, um, to the point that he gave me his personal cell phone number. That's, that's the kind of doctor uh, he was, he just retired. But anyway, I'm like, Doc, come on. No, no, I'll write you the referral after you go get your MRI. So I'm like, all right, I'll go get an MRI. So the next day, I 
found myself, and if you've ever had that fun experience of being slid into that tube, if you're claustrophobic, forget it. They give you that little ball to squeeze that if, if you start panicking, uh, you, you squeeze the ball and, and they bring you back out. And of course, this MRI, he was because he was concerned, had to be done without contrast first and then with contrast. So I was slid into the machine for what seemed like forever, you know, and, and you're just surrounded in that noise, that vroom, 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 vroom. If you're familiar with an MRI, um, spinning around, get pulled back out. You have an IV started. They give you medicine. They slide you back in the machine, and you get the same exact test done. But this time, there's contrast in the machine in, in in your body, so different things light up. And this was all to look at my lower back and my back. I guess my hips. I don't know what was going on. So I thought that was it. I um. Left there thinking, okay, this is it. The, uh, the technician said, well, your doctor wrote stat on the script for this, so he's probably going to be calling you um, within a day or two. So, well, later that night, my phone rings, and I could see it was my doctor calling from his personal number. And when we come back on the other side of this break, I'm going to talk to you about and I'll share with you what my doctor said and how that diagnosis of what was discovered by that MRI had changed my life and has brought me to this point. And we'll do that as soon as we come back in just a moment. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You. 
You're listening to Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully. To reach the program today, you're welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send Rusty an email, his email address is 13.rwilliams at gmail.com. Now back to Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully. Okay, so here we are getting a phone call from my doctor at about 9.30 at night from his personal number. I guess it was his cell phone or house phone. It really doesn't matter. I just knew it wasn't the office. And when your doctor calls you at 9.30 at night from his or her personal phone, you know it's not to uh, share great news with you. And my doctor told me, He said, I don't know how to tell you this, Rusty. These were his exact words. He said, you have a tumor growing in your spinal cord. Now, everything after that was kind of like Charlie Brown's teacher. It was that womp, 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 womp. I I don't remember much after that. I just kept playing over and over that this can't be real. I have a tumor in my spinal cord. I have a tumor growing in my spinal cord. He told me I had to get to a neurosurgeon as soon as possible. And I thought this... This can't be possible. My wife, Elisa, was sitting next to me. We were up in the bedroom, and she was a high school teacher, and she was grading papers or, or doing a lesson plan. And I remember she kind of caught on to what was going on. She, her attention was taken away from what she was doing, and she started just looking at me with this look of disbelief as I kept saying, I have a what in my spinal cord? And that started a journey for myself, for my family, that led me to where I am today. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not grateful. <laughs> I'm not saying, hey, this is great. I have a tumor in my spinal cord. But if not for that diagnosis, for this diagnosis, I probably want to be here today. And that's what this, this segment of the show we're going to talk about. So I'm diagnosed with a tumor in my spinal cord. <clears throat> I'm told that I have to get to a neurosurgeon. The first neurosurgeon we went to was at a teaching hospital in Philadelphia, one of the best neurosurgeons we were told in the area, if not in the country. Um, If you've ever seen the movie 50-50, it's a great movie, by the way, and it's based on actual facts from Seth Rogen's friend um, who was dealing with a tumor in his spinal cord. We went to this doctor, and he was so matter-of-fact, borderline cold, that he told us, my wife and I, that you have a tumor growing in your spinal cord. This kind of tumor, what we believe, remember there's no biopsy at this point, there's no nothing. Based on what the radiologist said, we believe with these type of tumors, there's probably more than one, and they tend to go to your brain, so there's a good chance you also have a tumor growing in your brain. And he was that cold, that matter of fact. And instead of leaving there with some sort of comfort, with some sort of direction, we left there in, in, in dead silence, walking back to our car in the parking garage. And I just remember thinking, this cannot be real. My mind was spinning. How, you know, th- I'm living in a dream. And maybe you've, maybe you've experienced that where you've heard something and you, you just kept telling yourself over and over again, this can't be real. I, I got to be dreaming something's not right here. I know I'm going to wake up from this and it's, it's, it's everything will be back to normal. 
we weren't thrilled with this doctor. Not that I wanted a neurosurgeon with the best bedside manner, but at least some bedside manner would be nice. We started a search, my wife and I. And I'll give credit to my wife because she has become my absolute cheerleader, the person who just will not um, stop to try to find something that, that would help me. And so we went to another neurosurgeon at a different teaching hospital in Philadelphia. This neurosurgeon, very compassionate, um, very likable. And what he said was, look, with the type of tumor you have, because it's entangled in your lower, lower spinal cord, it's at the third lumbar ver- vertebrae, it's at L3. Because it's tangled in there, we can't even go in and biopsy it without paralyzing you. In fact, it's inoperable. We're not going to do anything with this tumor until your legs stop working. Because that way we can justify if we do paralyze you, ethically, we can justify only taking away if you only have 40% of your legs work, of your mobility at that time, and we paralyze you completely. We can justify that by saying we only took away 40% of his mobility. Where right now you're ambulating at 60%, maybe 70%. To take that type of mobility away where you're still able to walk would be completely unethical. So your tumor is inoperable. We can't operate because it's entangled. The first cut that we make to try to get it, we have to cut through your cord. It's going to paralyze you. Okay, Doc, what about treatment options? I mean, there's got to be chemo, right? There's got to be radiation. There's got to be something with all these new advances in medicine. And he looked at us, and again, one of the most compassionate doctors that in, in this journey that we've had said, unfortunately, no. We just don't know enough about these type of tumors. It's an orphan disease. 15,000 people are diagnosed, roughly 15,000 people, this is the, the numbers he gave me, 15,000 people are diagnosed in the United States every year with a brain tumor, and that's considered a very rare disease. In all of North America, around 500 people are diagnosed with a spinal cord tumor. He said there's just no research. There's nothing that we have available. We know chemotherapy isn't going to work. Apparently, the blood-brain barrier, and he was talking about terms. And even with my days as a paramedic, I wasn't understanding everything. And he said we don't radiate these type of tumors because right now it's benign. It's slow-growing. It's going to cause you misery but it's not going to kill you. And if we radiate these kind of tumors, they tend to, it throws a switch. Something happens with the DNA within the tumor and they become malignant and they travel to your brain in different places. So we can't radiate it. So the only thing we have for you is palliative care. That is pain management. So we took his advice you know, and he said, you know, we'll be touching base every six months to see how the progress goes, but I want you to go see a pain management doctor. Well, again, my wife, who wasn't going to stand by and watch me in pain, started researching, and we went around the country. We went to the best neuro hospitals, the best cancer hospitals all over the country. If we didn't go, my MRIs went, they were sent. Every neurosurgeon in the country said the same thing. Your tumor, unfortunately, is inoperable and untreatable. And we recommend pain management and palliative care. We're very sorry. And it was like getting another punch in the gut. 
maybe even lower if you're a guy, you can appreciate this. That's what it felt like. You know, at least if, if you know, people have tumors, they, they get treated, they get operated on, they get something, and then they have a chance to feel better. And that wasn't the case with this. So we started a journey towards different types of palliative care. I started seeing a pain doctor. This pain doctor, my pain doctor is phenomenal. He's the one I credit with keeping me upright because he is an interventional pain doctor. It's not just all pain meds. I have a spinal cord stimulator implanted in me with, and that is a little device about the size of a pacemaker that's implanted just above my, the right side of my butt. And it has leads that go up and parallel my spinal cord. And it stimulates my spinal cord. If you've ever had a TENS unit to stimulate muscles, it's kind of like, a, it's kind of like an, an internal TENS unit. And that kind of tricks my brain into feeling something other than pain. I also have an intrathecal pain pump implanted in me. And that's a, a pump that sends medicine into the fluid that surrounds my spinal cord. So that's implanted in me. But I was also trying other things. We had tried, so in addition to that, we had tried acupuncture. We had tried, I slept on mats of magnets. Um, not very comfortable, by the way. I was told that they would help. Uh, we tried, yes, we tried every crazy imaginable option, every treatment option, every alternative thing we could think of. I tried this process where blood is, is drawn out of my vein it goes into a machine it's spun mixed with oxygen and something else and then it goes back into my vein and that was supposed to help with pain of course none of this is covered by insurance um and when i had to retire i should say that when i got diagnosed let me back up when i was diagnosed and, and my doctor called me that night and i was my last year as a police officer after I was diagnosed, the next day I went to work and I had to tell my boss what it was. That was the last day that I ever wore the uniform again. I'm fortunate that I had, that I had enough sick time, comp time, vacation time, personal days. I had enough of those stored up and saved that I was able to retire with a full pension. But when I did, I went from the best insurance plan that the state of New Jersey offered to Medicare. Because I'm disabled, I have to be on Medicare. So my insurance was slashed. Um, and the bills became exponentially greater than the income. My wife had to retire to take care of me to be my caregiver. So that income was slashed. So as her income was slashed, the bills were going through the roof. This became so bad. And I, I'm not looking for sympathy. And I don't say this for any other reason. Again, full disclosure. We lost everything. So there was this guilt that I was living with. We had lost everything. We lost our home. We had to declare bankruptcy. We, the, the money coming in wasn't coming close to paying the bills. The intrathecal pain pump that I mentioned earlier that's implanted in me was $96,000. Medicare covers 80% of that. The spinal cord stimulator that I mentioned earlier that's implanted in me was $48,000. Medicare covers 80% of that. So it, you don't have to be a math major to figure out what was happening in our lives. This led to more feelings of what is going on with life. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. Um, guilt, 
anger, frustration, resentment, in addition to the physical pain that was at this point getting worse. It got so bad that at one point I was on seven different pain medications, seven different pain medications by three different doctors. I had my pain doctor who had me on different medications for nerve pain and then the true pain medication, narcotic pain medication. There was pain medications in the pain pump that I mentioned. And then I was seeing a neurologist who was also putting me on medications that would make the pain medications I was on work better, if that makes sense. So at one point, I was on seven different pain medications to try to control this pain. And things didn't seem to be getting any better. In fact, I was, maybe you've done this. I was living my diagnosis. I was that person who everything revolved around my identity being someone who had this tumor in my spinal cord. We couldn't go out because I couldn't sit very long. I I can't sit very long. I lost the ability to drive. Um, doing things with other people, you know, we had to cancel so many times. So, of course, sooner or later, the phone slowly stops ringing and who could blame, who could blame someone, right? I mean, I, Rusty can't go out. They can't go out again. Okay, well, well, this all played into this role of this, like a snowball gathering speed as it went down a hill. And I started living my diagnosis. And what I learned was I was attaching all these emotions to the physical pain. And my wife had seen in that, that something had to be done. My quality of life, I mean, was literally in the toilet. I was just a drooling idiot from all the different pain medications I was on. I was living by an app on my phone that told me when to take meds at what time. There were 7 a.m. meds, 11 a.m. meds, 3 p.m. meds, 5 p.m. meds, 11 p.m. meds. And my life revolved around all of this. And once again, I'll give full credit to my wife, Elisa. She saw in a a magazine, I believe the magazine was Natural Awakenings, that a hypnotist in our area had advertised uh, hypnosis for pain management. And my wife said, she found that article and she said, we're doing this. Well, okay, she said, you are doing this. And I told her, are you out of your mind I mean, first of all, I was done in my mind, no more treatments, no more therapies, no more crazy anything. I I just wanted to to just forget about seeing doctors and seeing specialists and seeing all these crazy people who had ideas that if I just did this, I would feel better. And I've taught her no way. I mean, hey, right, guys, every now and then a man has to put his foot down and say, no, I'm not doing it. Well, about a week later, I found myself in the hypnotist office. And I learned something, by the way, that when I do what I'm told, I get along so much better with my wife. I, we, we joke about that, but she has been, again, my, my absolute cheerleader and the one who's, who's watching out for me. So my wife literally dragged me to the hypnotist's office. And I'm sitting there thinking, come on, I was a cop. I can't be hypnotized. This is all a bunch of BS. There's no way this is going to work. Besides, I don't want to cluck like a chicken. I don't want to quack like a duck. I don't want to bark like a dog when a fire engine goes by and blows the siren. I just, but to appease my wife 
and I was curious. I mean, I had seen, you know, hypnotist shows. I had, I'm, I knew, heard that they were, it helps with smoking, right? You can stop smoking. You can lose weight. But come on, for pain? I mean, this is, I have something going on with my body. How is hypnosis going to help with my pain? Well, I had a remarkable hypnotist. And the first session, all we did was work on relaxation. Literally, she just taught me through what's called a hypnotic induction, how to relax. We didn't talk about pain. We talked about nothing other than just relaxing, just finding a place of calm and of peace. And I remember leaving there thinking, wow, this is, I mean, I felt relaxed and at peace and my mind wasn't racing and I wasn't so angry and upset and resentful and sad for the first time in a long time. And I remember thinking, wow, this is pretty neat. And we got home and it was in the afternoon. And remember I told you I had that app that said what meds to take. And my wife was always checking, did you take your meds? And I remember my wife, Elisa, said, did you take your five o'clock meds? And I thought to myself, I I didn't. I, I guess I should. But for the first time, I didn't feel, and I was still in pain. The pain was still there, but I wasn't suffering. And I didn't feel like I needed the meds. So, When we come back, on the other side of this break, we're going to talk about how hypnosis, exactly what was said, what was done, and how I'm now living, I'm literally walking, living proof that hypnosis for pain, anxiety, stress, anger, all those things work. And we'll talk about that right after this message. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You're listening to Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully. To reach the program today, you're welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send Rusty an email, his email address is 13.rwilliams at gmail.com. Now back to Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully. Okay, so I find myself 
thinking I really don't, I, although I was in pain, I, I, I knew it was time for the medication. But I thought, wow, it's, it's a different type of pain. Basically, in a nutshell, what happened was I removed the emotional part. When I say I, my, the hypnotist helped me remove the emotional side of what I was going through from the physical experience of pain. And I learned that, you know, pain doesn't have to become suffering. Pain becomes suffering, at least in my opinion, when we attach an emotion to it, when we attach a sense of loss, all the feelings I had, resentment, anger, grief. I was grieving what what I had lost, Um, jealousy, envy, what other people were able to do. And once I was able to separate and learn how to relax and deal with those feelings separate and apart from the painful stimuli that this tumor was, was causing, things changed. And I had to go back for a follow-up session, but this time my wife didn't have to drag me there. I was, I was like, let's go. I loved that feeling. Oh, it was so relaxing. I remember feeling, wow, I, why can't I feel this relaxed all the time? There was a sense of calm and relaxation throughout me like I never felt. And the second session, what the hypnotist did is she trained me, she taught me how to literally turn my pain down. And notice how I said mine, because I was owning it at that point. Now I talk about that pain. I actually use the word discomfort, not pain. Pain is such a, a powerful word. Discomfort is means the same thing, but it's not so powerful as pain, is it? But I was calling it my pain, so I learned how to turn down my pain. And as I turned down my pain, I also turned up my comfort. So as that pain was turned down in my mind, as if a big dial, a big knob, uh, a, a control lever was literally turning it down, turning it down, turning it down. My comfort level was getting higher and higher. My sense of relaxation and peace was going up. And I practiced and learned how to control those two knobs, levers, dials, switches, whatever they were in my mind. And that's how I was able to, after that second session, and by the way, with this needs to be stated, with the okay and and under the care of my doctors, I went from seven different pain medications to two, making sure my doctors knew and they were okay and and was under their direction, by the way. But from seven pain medications where I was no quality of life because I was just spaced out someplace to two medications, one for the nerve pain, which I'm I'm always going to have to take something for, for nerve nerve pain, nerve discomfort. How's that? We'll go back to the discomfort word. And the true pain medication, I have a pill cutter. And if I'm having a horrible day, if I do something stupid, I lift something, I, I, I reach for something that I'm not supposed to and it causes pain, I have a pill cutter and I cut that pill in half. They're my medications. That's all I take. And I really thought if my life can change this dramatically and if my quality of life can come back in such a way where I have a relationship with my wife again. By the way, my wife and I were married just a year when I was diagnosed. My wife and I, we both had a prior marriage. We were both divorced once. And we had just married a year and a half when I was diagnosed. So we were literally going through this honeymoon period and then boom, here comes this diagnosis. Everything changed. And I had a relationship with my wife again, with my two children, my two sons, I was able to be a dad again. Sure, I might not be able to go throw the football and and take them out and and do those kind of things, but I could be present in their lives and with them. 
And my quality of life changed so much that I thought, and, and I started researching, by the way, I started going on YouTube and I was looking at how can hypnosis help? And of course, if you go to YouTube, you type in hypnosis, you get all the stage hypnosis stuff. And I, I, I found that interesting and I still find that remarkably interesting. In fact, we just went to a, a hypnosis comedy show um, in our area just the other night. Um, I had a blast with my, my two boys and my son's wife. Uh, we, we did nothing but laugh for two hours. But that's what you found. And I, so I started digging deeper. And what I found was hypnosis really does work. There was research, empirical evidence, peer-reviewed research by major universities that showed hypnosis helps for all kinds of things, not just pain. And I was telling my wife this, and I was thinking, man, this is so interesting. In that same magazine, that Natural Awakenings that I, my wife found that first article about this hypnotist for pain control, that same hypnotist was now advertising giving classes to teach people how to become hypnotists. She's a hypnosis instructor. And my wife said to me, you've been talking about this for a while now, close to a year. Why don't you go see Barb? Barb Angelo is the hypnotist who both hypnotized me and certified me. And I'm now honored to call my colleague. We now work together. Um, we share an office. And she said, why don't you go see Barb? Take this class. You've been talking about this. Think of the people that, that you can help if it helped you. And I said, oh, come on, hon, I'm 50-some years old. I'm not going to start a new career. Are you kidding me? Well, once again, when I do what I'm told, there you go. So I went, took the course, and learned all the techniques, all the theory behind hypnosis, and I became a certified hypnotist. And Barb was so kind at the end of that class to ask me to be her colleague. There was a, another room available. And so I now work with the, in the same room with a person who not only hypnotized me, but certified me to, come a hip, to, to become a hypnotist. And uh, what, what a way to give back, I thought, to, to be able to work with her and, and, and she working with me. And, and we have a great working relationship together. But this started this journey of me reaching out I and mean, we advertised, by the way, when I started my, my practice, I wanted to help people in pain, physical pain. Those people in physical pain, they're the people that I wanted to help. It helped me so much. And I know my brother's a, an auto mechanic. Mechanics, I think, have worse backs than cops. Um, so many people with, with migraines and bad backs and necks and shoulders. And I thought, I can really help them. So my wife and I started a ministry because we lost everything. When I got diagnosed, we understood the financial constraints of going to see someone who's considered an alternative care practitioner. And the idea, being an ordained minister, of telling someone oh, that'll be $180, $190 who is going through cancer treatments and is not working or has lost their job because they're on disability. And I'm, I'm not knocking anyone who, who has a business model. It's just we wanted to, to, do, to do it as a, as a ministry. And so we started a ministry where we offered hypnosis to people who are in pain. And the adage, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I would say 10% of my clients are pain clients. That is people who come to me in physical pain. The other 90% are people in other types of pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. These are people who 
are dealing with grief and anxiety and stress, who are dealing with different fears. There's also people who want to quit smoking, lose weight. But then there's also the other side of it, people who want to do better at things. I work with athletes, some professional athletes in our area. I work with student athletes. I work with students who want to do better academically. I work with business people who want to achieve more than, than they are, whatever their, their goals are for a quarter. So it isn't just helping people work with things that are bad. It's also helping people become better at things that they want to be better at, finding their creative spark. I work with artists, um, and it's, it's very rewarding. And we do this as a ministry. And it's amazing. We live off of donations. And since we've opened our ministry, everything's okay. You know, some people think we're crazy for not charging, but the donations that we do receive, they keep us going. They keep the lights on. They, they allow us to do things. They allow me to do things like this radio show um, to help other people to go around and, and train other hypnotists. So that's my story of how I became this, what I thought I would never become. And that is someone calling me a hypnotist, especially someone certified as a medical hypnotist, certified in hypnosis for pain control, emergency hypnosis for emergency um, situations, which is an interesting topic. Um, And through all of this, I also learned the value of mindfulness. And I learned what mindfulness is and what mindfulness isn't. And mindfulness really, in a nutshell, is just being present in this moment, whatever moment it is, And just experiencing whatever you're experiencing without attaching judgment to it, without saying this is bad, this is good. So it's not what I thought it was as far as trying to meditate and and lose my mind and, and become completely blank. In fact, just the opposite. It's becoming aware as I stand here right now speaking to you, I'm standing, I'm leaning on a table and I'm feeling the way that table feels in the palm of my hands. I feel the way my one leg feels different than the other leg. I'm observing things around me. I'm fully present in that moment. And that's really what um, mindfulness is. And by practicing that, we can actually rewire our brains and we can train ourselves to use the thinking part of our brain to respond to things, to react to things instead of the emotional side. And so this show is going to be about offering techniques, suggestions, ideas, about how we can live more mindfully. And by doing so, practicing mindfulness, by the way, doesn't have to take a lot of time. 30, 45 seconds, two or three times a day, the research has shown we can actually rewire our brains, become more present. Imagine being more present with our family when we come home from work. Imagine being more present with our loved ones, being more present in our jobs, being more present when we're out doing whatever we love doing without our mind thinking about something we should have done or something we have to do. So this show is going to be about the skills that we can develop, very easy, very fun ways to learn that make our life, our quality of life, even better. And this show is going to talk about, in the weeks to come, the ways that hypnosis, self-hypnosis, and mindfulness can impact, positively impact, so many different different areas of our lives. From, well, think of the climate that we're in right now. I'm not talking just about the weather climate. I'm talking about 
and it doesn't matter, this isn't a political show and I'm not going there. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. Everything going on in the world around us, when chaos sometimes seems to be the, the, the default setting when we turn on the news or open up Facebook news feed, just to be able to stop living in that, in that feeling of anxiousness, of stress, of fear. That's what mindfulness and hypnosis can do. That's how powerful it can be. We can't change what's going on around us. Someone much wiser than me once said, I can't control the weather, but I can certainly control the atmosphere around me. And so this show is going to be talking about all the things that are beneficial when it comes to mindfulness and hypnosis. Next week, we're going to talk about, because it's all around us, we might as well start off running stress and anxiety and how hypnosis, how mindfulness can play a huge role in reducing the way we respond and react, the way we process, the way we feel about the things that make us anxious and cause us stress in life. But there's other things. We're going to talk about pain, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain or spiritual pain. We're going to talk about fears, how hypnosis and mindfulness can help us conquer our fears, can help bring us back to the present of what's really happening instead of what our mind is saying might happen. We're going to talk about the way we can help children, the way we can help ourselves feel better about our own lives, how we can get motivation, set goals, how we can learn creativity, how we can get better at different tasks in life. And sure, we'll maybe talk about getting rid of bad habits, whether it's smoking, um, whether it's the way we eat. Maybe we'll even talk about weight loss. But this is your show. I'm simply the host. So any suggestions you have, any thoughts you have on this, any questions you have, I'd love to hear from you so we can make this show your show. You can email me at 13, the number one, three, 13.rwilliams at gmail.com, or you can Go on Facebook, find NJ Hypnosis Training, send me a private message. Um, that's what this show is about, learning the skills to help us feel better. And so as this show comes to a close, I just want to thank you for taking time out of your day to allow me into it. I, I don't take this lightly, and I'm honored to be able to do this, and I'm looking forward to the relationship that we'll develop in the weeks ahead, in the months ahead. And we're going to have fun learning the skills where we can learn how to be more mindful and live with that hypnotic mindset. We'll see you next week. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for joining us this week for Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully. Your host, Rusty Williams, invites you to tune in again next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.